This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu. You're listening to Raise Your Game. Jeff Bezos, many have written about him and his work. And joining the foray, we have Brian Domain with his book, uh, Bezonomics. So, Brian, uh, so you took three years to to research this book, you know, and obviously it has a global, you know, Amazon, the company has had a global uh, impact, right? And um, why do you hope the reader will get out of it, you know, chronicling the story? What can we learn from it? Well, uh, there are many different things I hope readers will get out of this. If, if you're a consumer, you'll understand how Amazon uh, functions. And, you know, these boxes with smiles on them magically mm-hmm. arrive at your mm-hmm. doorstep every day. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is, is what goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the scope and scale of Amazon and the uh, logistical complexity and probably most interesting of all is the use of artificial intelligence, mm. uh, big data, machine learning to make sure those packages show up. If you're a, a corporate executive, you can learn from Jeff Bezos' management techniques and how he runs his uh, 800,000 employees at Amazon. Mm. And if you're a competitor, you can... Uh, Find out ways to outflank Amazon. Mm. If you're an entrepreneur and you've got a small business and you're wondering how to survive in what I like to call the Amazon jungle, there's some tips in the book about how to do that. Right. Um, in your book's introduction, you discuss uh, Jeff Bezos' day one approach, where essentially he runs Amazon with the fervor and intensity of running a startup. Do you think this approach um, could be taken by other businesses? Oh, I definitely do think it, it can be. It takes a lot of work. Uh, you have to stay on it uh, every day uh, if you're a manager. And what Bezos means by day one is he wants everyone coming to work as if it's the first day, if it's day one of a startup business, with that kind of energy and that kind of enthusiasm uh, to get the work done. And I have a scene in my book, Bezonomics, where he addressed uh, his staff and he said one of the things he worries about most is what he calls day two, which is what happens after day one if a company doesn't keep up that energy and spirit. And he says people get complacent. They stop focusing on the customer. They become more internally focused, and they engage more in corporate politics instead of doing what Bezos thinks is the most important thing, which is to do everything you can to make the customer's life easier and better, whether it's lower prices on the Internet or faster delivery or uh, popular services like Amazon Prime Movies or Amazon Streaming Music, that sort of thing. How do you think he's managed to stay the course, you know, this kind of thinking? Well, that's a great question. That brings me back to a a time not unlike ours, when there was a crisis afoot, it was uh, the dot-com stock bubble had burst mm-hmm. the year 2001, and Amazon was about to go out of business. Uh, it, Barron's Magazine had a headline said, Amazon dot bomb. Uh, its stock had gone from a 
107 U.S. dollars down to 6 U.S. dollars. Uh, it was pouring out of cash. And Jeff Bezos, at that point, came up with a concept called the flywheel, mm-hmm. which has allowed him to drive Amazon's growth year in and year out. And in a sense, the flywheel really saved the company back in 2001 and got it uh, directly on course. And the flywheel, you have to think of it as a virtuous cycle. And it starts with the customer. Every time it starts with the customer. When I was interviewing executives at Amazon, at some point in the conversation, they would always say, well, it all starts with the customer. It's almost as if one of Amazon's data scientists had implanted some microchip in their brain, which made them say that during every conversation. But the flywheel's genius is that it gets everybody in the organization focused on doing what's right for the customer. And the flywheel goes like this. Bezos actually, back in 2001, sat down and sketched a picture of the flywheel. And this picture is a circle, and it starts with the, the customer. And if you do everything for the customer, you're going to attract more customers. If you start attracting more customers, you're going to attract, in Amazon's case, all these outside sellers, these third-party sellers, who will sell more goods on the mm-hmm. site because they want to reach uh, that big number of customers. And once you get more third-party sellers, your revenues start increasing. Once your revenues start increasing, you get economies of scale, which frees up money mm-hmm. to allow you to drop prices for your customer or give them faster delivery or better service, which attracts more customers, which attracts more third-party sellers, which gives you economies of scale to drop your prices or provide better service. And that circle just keeps going around and around. And every day at Amazon, with this day one spirit, everyone's trying to push that flywheel a little faster and a little faster and a little faster until, like a real flywheel, it gets its own momentum going and it almost starts turning on its own. That's how he's kept it going all these years. Right. And when you talk about him um, starting with the customer, it's sometimes coming up with products that, you know, they they may not work, but he's got the customer um, in mind. Oh, absolutely. He's one of the great innovators in business. And, I mean, look at all the inventions he's come up with. It's not just online commerce. Um, and Prime, which in and of itself is mm-hmm. an amazing invention, right. invention. the Prime uh, membership program now has 150 million people mm-hmm. uh, worldwide. I've never seen a club anything like it. And then he's invented things like the Kindle Reader right. and, uh, and then Alexa, which mm-hmm. is uh, huge globally. I think there are more than 100 million units out there now. It's the leading smart speaker out on the market, and Amazon's inventing all these products right. that surround Alexa, uh, home security systems, including cameras and smart doorbells, and sound systems for the home. And it's just an entire ecosystem that he's inventing around voice recognition, which I think is one of the next big interfaces right. uh, in the computing industry. With web services, now, yeah. Go ahead. You know, I know this isn't fair, but when you do you think, how would you say he's different from Elon Musk, say? <laughs> That's a great question. How is Jeff Bezos different from Elon Musk? Um, they're both 
great innovators. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, I, I, for my money, I would say Elon Musk is maybe even a bit more ambitious mm-hmm. than Jeff Bezos in what he's trying to do. I mean, Bezos, you know, created a, a, the biggest online commerce mm. uh, company in the United States, but you know, Elon Musk is trying to build a car company mm. from scratch, and very few people have ever done that. I mean, the last successful car company uh, in the United States uh, that started from scratch was Chrysler, and that was in the 1920s. And everybody else who's tried to do that has failed. And, you know, I, I wish Elon all the luck in the world. I think what he's doing with electric cars is, mm. is fantastic. Um, I think Bezos is different also in his discipline. I mean, my feeling with Elon is he's a brilliant man, but he, he seems to be doing things on the fly. You know, there's always right. a crisis, and he's always trying to put the crisis out. I mean, a couple of years ago, they're having production snags in the Tesla factory in California, and he had to sleep there nights on his cot to try to get the thing running again. Whereas Bezos has created this well thought out, mm. well oiled machine, right. and as I said earlier, you know, it's based on the flywheel, which keeps turning and turning and turning. So, I, I would say. Bezos is better at logistics, mm-hmm. and I think Elon is is better uh, with grand ambition. Mm. Although uh, uh, a bit of a Tony Bezos Stark does, does not lack in that department either. Right. <laughs> they both want to uh, colonize outer space. That's one of the similarities <laughs> they have. They both own rocket companies. Right. Uh, do you think Amazon will be su- as successful as it is today if it didn't have this fast-paced and almost unforgiving approach? Well, that's part of its success story, their mm. unforgiving approach. I mean, it's working at Amazon is not for everybody. It's a very tough environment. Uh, it's up or out. Uh, but, you know, you don't have to work at Amazon if you don't want to. So I don't think that's one of their big problems. I think that the fact that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world, I mean, just since the pandemic started with Mm. COVID-19, his net worth has increased by $29 billion. And even after giving his wife $38 billion U.S. in a divorce settlement, he's still the richest man in the world with $144 billion, and by far. So I think he's a target. Of people, yes, Amazon yeah. has this. You know, uh, people think it's taking over the retail world, mm. and in the United States, it is true that it controls 38% of all e-commerce. Mm. But if you look at all retail, if you count brick-and-mortar stores, Amazon only accounts for 5% of all retail, and globally, mm. Amazon only accounts for 1%. I mean, they're growing incredibly fast for a $280 billion company. Mm. And someday they might have a much larger share of brick-and-mortar retail. They're buying grocery chains. They're opening convenience stores. And who knows what other area of retail they're going to go into next. So I I think it's more a fear that they'll get too big and too powerful in the future, combined with the fact that Jeff Bezos is the richest man 
and the world is mm. an easy target for politicians. Right. I'm here with Brian Dumais and talking about his book, Bezonomics. We'll continue our conversation after this in Race Again, BFM 89.9. I have a dream. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. Listen to Race Again, Frida Liu here, speaking to Brian DeMay, talking about his book, Bezonomics, obviously talking about Mr. Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, you also mentioned that uh, Amazon has both uh, good points and bad points, uh, you know, contrasting the efficiency and uh, variability that Amazon offers uh, with the rush towards automation. Can you elaborate more on the chapter, In God We Trust, All Others Must Bring Data? Yes, <laughs> that's right. So I have a chapter in my book, Bezonomics, about Jeff Bezos' relentless drive for the truth. He hates corporate politics, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. He hates wasted time. He hates people who come to meetings unprepared. He just wants to get down to the nitty-gritty. You know, what are the facts? What do we need to do? What are the best things for the customer? And one of the ways he does this is by having what they call a six-pager inside of Amazon, which Mm -hmm. is basically a six-page memo that anyone who wants to suggest a new product or a new service has to compose and bring to a meeting. And Bezos makes everyone sit silently in that meeting for the first 20 minutes and read the six-page memo. Mm -hmm. And the six-page memo has to be written as if it were a press release for a product or service that already existed. Hmm. How much would it cost? Why would anyone want it? Um, What are the features? Uh, And in some instances, when a a product is actually launched, they use the six-pager as the real press release for it. That's how detailed it is. But what that does is it focuses everyone on the facts, uh, no one can come with half-baked ideas. These six-pagers take executives weeks, if not months, to compose, uh, and they have to be clearly written. Uh, and Bezos uses those as a starting point for a really frank, sometimes confrontational discussion about a new product or service. And if he feels that someone is not living up to their own potential or is trying to fake the facts or fake the data, he can sometimes lose his temper. He has these famous, mm. it's called inside the company, nutters, where, where he'll, if he's upset by something, he'll say, what do you think I took my stupid pills today? So he's, you know, he can have a temper like Steve Jobs had a temper. Right. And you know, extremely talented people often do. They, they tend not to suffer fools gladly. Mm. And Bezos certainly falls into that camp. Right. Um, another chapter, uh, how do you go about Amazon-proofing your business? Right. So it's, if you're a retailer, it's really difficult to compete with Amazon, mm. especially if you're trying to sell commodity products. If you just have a product that everybody else has and you try to sell it for the same amount or cheaper than Amazon, mm. or if you try to deliver it faster than Amazon can deliver it, you'll probably get crushed. I mean, I have an anecdote in my book. It was a teenager in Seattle, Washington, who ordered a video game and it arrived at his home from Amazon eight minutes after he ordered it. So 
in terms of logistics, it's really hard to beat right. Amazon. But if you are a retailer, how do you compete? Mm. Well, you need to outflank Amazon. You have to do things that they're not good at. And they're not good at, for example, hand-holding, you know, mm. providing terrific individual service. There's a fashion company in California. It's a startup called Stitch Fix. Mm. And what the company does is it collects data on each customer and finds out what kinds of clothes they like, um, what their size is, what clothes are likely to fit, which clothes are not likely to fit. And then they'll put a package of clothes together and they'll ship it to you once a month or more often if you want. And you try the clothes on. And if you don't like anything, you just put it back in the same box and return it to the company. Mm. And every time a customer does that, the company gets smarter and smarter about each individual uh, and what that person might like in terms of fashion. And it's very hard for Amazon with its two to three hundred million customers around Mm. the world to provide that kind of service, even with all their smart computers and their artificial intelligence. Mm. So that Stitch Fix is you know, it, it's only a few years old. It's it's already valued at well over a billion dollars, mm. and it's it's having great success doing that. Another way is to offer products that Amazon doesn't have, and it it seems like an impossible task. By one estimate, Amazon sells more than 600 separate items online. Mm-hmm. But uh, William Sonoma, which is a uh, seller of high-end kitchen equipment. Mm is a good example of curating a collection that Amazon does not have or is not likely to have. You know, for example, when I, when I typed in pots and pans in Amazon as a test, uh, one thing that came up was a, a set of, I think it was 15 pots and pans for $49, and it got 2,500 positive reviews. People seemed to like it. You go to the William Sonoma site and you type in pots and pans, and uh, what comes up is this rare $800 uh, cooking pot designed by a Parisian company that was established in the 1800s, hmm. which you're not likely to find on Amazon. So then again, there again, uh, a company like William Sonoma is figuring out a way to outflank uh, Amazon. Right. Um, another strategy that a small company might use is to come up with a social mission. Mm. Amazon is not known for uh, having a social mission other than making its customers happy. Mm. It's not known for being... Uh, Bill Gates. Really, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Or it's not, it's not known for being environmentally uh, mm. forward. But there's a uh, company in the United States that sells eyeglasses. It's called Warby Parker. Mm-hmm. And they've had a tremendous amount of success. Again, in probably uh, five years or a little more, they're valued at close to $2 billion. And what they've done is for every pair of eyeglasses they sell, they give away a pair of eyeglasses uh, in the developing world. Mm. So people feel that, hey, if I buy my glasses from Warby Parker, I'm actually doing something good. Right. And Warby Parker started with this program from day one, and it not only makes their customers feel good, 
but it, but it's a morale booster for their employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's been there uh, for a few years at the company uh, gets a free trip down to Central America to see the work that Warby Parker is doing by right. giving vision to uh, these people who ordinarily wouldn't have a chance, and that allows them to get a job or get an education, and it makes them feel really proud about the company they're working for. And that's something Amazon really hasn't done. Again, it's a way to outflank them. Right. Okay. In these these pockets, in these areas, uh, whether it will grow to that size of what Amazon is, I guess, you know, uh, it depends on what your, your, your company's goal is at the end of the day. And, you know, um, it, when you look look at all these things, though, you, you, did you think that everybody, anybody was ready for this pandemic? Well, you know, a lot of people got surprised by this pandemic, and Amazon, to a certain extent, mm. did as well. They were a little late mm. uh, adjusting their safety procedures and their warehouses around the world. But if any company was designed for this pandemic, you could say it's Amazon. Right. Uh, they responded fairly well uh, to the demand that surged after people started staying at home and not going into stores. Um, you know, their first quarter revenues alone grew by $75 billion. Mm. Can you imagine <laughs> handling that kind of surge right. without chaos? And they hired an extra 175,000 people in the first few months of the mm. pandemic. Mm. Um, now, their deliveries slowed down. You weren't seeing one- or two-day deliveries anymore. Mm. You know, the, the most essential items uh, were taking four days, and, and items were considered non-essential were taking a week yep. or maybe even two weeks. But Amazon had to do that to quickly adjust to the uh, incredible uh, demand for the pandemic. Mm. And the other advantage they had in meeting that demand is that more and more of the company is running on artificial intelligence. I think it's one of the most advanced companies in the world in terms of integrating artificial intelligence into their day-to-day operations. And a lot of the decisions that executives used to make about how many items to order, what size, what color, and where to ship them and which warehouses so they'd be in the right place for customers to order them and get them in a timely manner. Those decisions are mostly being made by artificial intelligence now. Mm. And I think that allowed Amazon to uh, react quickly during the pandemic. Mm. Now, the interesting thing about Amazon the pandemic is that they've announced that they're going to maintain at least 100,000, if not more, of those 175,000 workers that Mm. they hired during the pandemic. And what that means is that because of the pandemic, people have gotten more used to ordering online, Mm -hmm. ordering their groceries online instead of going to the supermarket, ordering their clothes online, ordering their medicines online. And Amazon believes that the world has shifted I mean, this is a trend that had been building for mm. decades, obviously, online shopping. But because of this, it has really accelerated that trend. So I think on the other side of this pandemic, we're really going to see more e-commerce, right. not less. Accelerated and cemented. I, I have to ask this final question. Where can people get hold of your book? 
<laughs> you can order it on Amazon. Isn't that <laughs> ironic? <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and this conversation. I've been speaking to Brian Demain. You've been listening to Racy Game BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station.